because you have to think about this from a logical business standpoint. A $2,200 camera is an investment. I don't know how many people would buy this camera for fun and it's only for fun and that's it. But there's definitely those out there and it would spend more on cameras like that for fun and that's cool. But most of the people that would spend that much money on a camera, it's not for fun, it's an investment. Welcome to the Video Simplified Podcast where I help you simplify the video creation process to help you reach wider and connect deeper with the people that need you the most. From learning to use your camera to simplifying video strategy to help you grow your brand and share your vision using video. So let's jump right into today's episode. What is up entrepreneurs? Welcome back to another episode here on the Video Simplified Podcast with your hostess, the mostess, Diana Gladney. I wanted to have a open conversation about uh, being an owner of the ZVE-1 for three months nonstop. This is the only camera that I own. I literally traded all my other APS-C cameras, lenses with the exception of my Sony 35mm f1.8 lens that I'm using right now, which I absolutely love. It's my favorite lens ever. And I just could not let this one go. But everything else I wanted to transition over into moving uh, into full frame because I knew that would be the right move for me. And I know with YouTube, it does not necessarily always push forward content that's not sometimes over sensationalized on sometimes simple stuff because you are fighting for attention and also for the attention of the audience and the enjoyment and entertainment of the audience to move it right along because they're usually in a buying decision, they're in a enjoyment decision. They, they want that same level of dopamine hit from video to video or whatever, and they leave or go off of the other one or whatever. That's the nature of YouTube. We do this, I do this. That's not the problem. But I think for me to have the say in the things that I want, and I got my little post-it note with my notes on it just to make sure I cover the different things that I want to talk about. To discuss those different things, I feel like you have to do it in a way that I don't want to. <laughs> and so it's like the best way I think that I wanted to uh, be able to just have the conversation as somebody who actually owns the camera and has owned the camera. And this is my daily driver. It's the only camera that I own that perspective and not necessarily feel like I have to sell anybody on something, which I don't feel like I have to anyway, but I don't want anybody to feel uh, that way. And so I felt the podcast format would be ideal. And for me, number one, I will, I'll talk a few seconds here about like the why I sold it because the value of your cameras for any camera bodies for the most part, unless it's a higher end body, you're and I'm saying higher end like Sony A7S Mark III, Sony A7 IV, um, a good hybrid camera, you know, something like that, that would hold its value better over the years, your lower sub $1,000 cameras won't. And so there, and there's a time period before you make that transition and then they aren't worth what you want to get for them in return. And so I knew I was approaching that parameter where I knew these newer cameras were going to be coming out, just knowing the, the, the season of tech releases and what makes sense, not just with the rumors and stuff, but I'm like, what that normal psychology and buying pattern and social behavior of people online and stuff. And I was like, okay, if I'm going to get rid of them, I need to get rid of them now. And so I made the decision to go ahead and trade everything in. And I did one bulk sale of everything. Um, so I could get the most return for my money. And then the other thing was I wanted to make sure that I didn't have to spend a dime on the transition from those cameras to this camera 
and the new lenses that I would want to look at and the accessories and stuff. So I wanted to spend zero dollars and zero cents on this transition. Um, that meant uh, making sure that I could do this in the way I wanted to. And it just was fortuitous that it wind up being the white camera body that I'm shooting this on right now, which is the Sony ZV-E1. And I, I wasn't thinking to get the white one, I was gonna get the black one. And so it doesn't do it overheating or whatever, just what was available. I did this tr uh, transaction with MPB. They had the best bang for your buck. Like if you're curious, what I find most of the time, uh, if you're trying to get the most money, cause usually if you're trading in and you're wanting to do this based on speed and efficiency, and not necessarily almost like you can always get the most money doing it one-to-one -one, person to person, but you can always do the most money with a reliable camera brand and company quickly. Um, and so that it's just easy to switch from one thing to the other uh, with certain camera brands. And so I find between MPB and that's just MPB.com, KEH, Adorama, and then BNH is who you usually get the most money from in your trade-ins. And so MPB wind up giving the best value on everything that I would have versus anybody else. And it just depends on the condition that the thing is in. And it depends on uh, if you're doing a trade-in versus if you're selling. And so that experience is different. And so without going into how to trade in a camera and get the best bang for your buck, which I kind of talked about in a AC700 video and all that, that's what I did. I said, I didn't want to spend a dime on stuff. Um, and it just so happened they had this camera and I was like, hey, can I have that one that y'all just got in? Um, and instead of a selling, make this a trade. And they was like, yep, we just pulled it on the way. And I'm like, perfect. <laughs> so I got everything that I needed. Super simple, very easy, and very quick. And I was super happy, and I've been super happy. Now, uh, I want to add a little bit of a disclaimer before I get into any of these different points. In the camera space, it has become a very sad thing to where you have a lot of people that are just spreading vitriol, and I don't know if they just are angry in life or just angry at the brand or whatever, whatever that case is, but it's a, a sickness that I'm seeing online of just people. Number one, it's like, you can't be a fan of a brand. You can't be a fan of a thing or they feel like you're selling out because you like or enjoy something. And we all literally have those same things in life with anything. You have a certain kind of jeans you like. So have a certain kind of brand clothes that fit you best that you just, that vibes with your style or your comfort. You have a certain kind of milk brand that you usually buy. Or, you know, like a certain grocery store that you like, you're a fan of a thing. And if that thing went away, changed or whatever, you'd be like, you feel some kind of way about it. And so it's no different with camera brands or whatever, but I feel like this vitriol that gets shared online in the camera spaces, unfortunately, uh, it makes its way to people's comment sections. And I think mine does a really good job. And I do a really good job of fostering community in my comments instead of just, would say putting out sensational comment content all the time to where it's like, and I can always tell when somebody's new and I'll even like throw that out there. And it's like, you probably knew around here because it's like, we don't talk like that around here. We ain't, you know, just like this camera brand's dumb. It's like, bro, use whatever you like. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, like it, it pay, none of these brands pay you anything unless you are a partner with them, unless you're doing your brand deal with them or something. So it's like the amount of money you get solely from a YouTube video, even the YouTube videos that do really, really well is not worth Number one, your opinion, your honesty, your perspective, and your your brand presence, it's not worth it. Like, I think people miss that point. 
and like if somebody's truly a fan and they enjoy something for example peter uh mckinnon i was calling peter mccormick from camera conspiracies saying that one time which i just thought was hilarious but it's like peter mckinnon everybody rags on him so bad because he loves canon now because i don't know if, if they feel like he uh, and i've been critical of certain ways that certain people position stuff because it's like tell the truth you don't have to bash something but it's like let's be honest about a situation so i'm gonna get into the overheat in a second because i feel like ethics is important on youtube but if somebody's paying like if you have a, i think also you have to understand for those not talking about peter mckinnon but for those that are a brand ambassador they are paid by the company specifically like they say that they're owned like that video is owned by the or what you know what i'm saying like understand it's no different than doing a commercial for a product or something you know what i'm saying it's just a person instead of a brand or like a television network doing that thing and so you have to understand like they're not going to bash in the way you want now if you want a cr super critical review you're gonna have to wait for either outside of that view for that person to do their own thing or number two for somebody that actually buys it, using it in the use case that you hope for and making sure that, like I said, they spent their money for it or whatever. They at least, even if they got the gear from the brand, have the ownership to say what they want uh, about the thing. Like that was part of the agreement. You have to understand how contracts work for you know people that are doing stuff in the comments. The other thing is, number two, I think something very dangerous has recently been introduced into the camera space recently with GoPro, and this is a, a side, but that owning what you say versus like, and owning your opinion, not only what you say per se, but owning your opinion, GoPro recently with this GoPro Hero 12, it was set up so that people could not give their opinion of this camera when they were doing that initial launch video. I think that's very dangerous. I think it's very dangerous. And hearing that, knowing that that's the thing, like this is just basically a show and tell kind of vi a video, I think that's very dangerous. But that's not the case with Sony. Sony allows for you to, and I'm saying this from somebody that has received gear and equipment from them, is building a relationship with them and hope to continue to build a relationship with Sony, but I own my opinion. I have the right to say what I want to say. And again, you have to know, and that person usually said, most people on YouTube are pretty honest, but I think the ethics around some creators who don't have that relationship, who aren't a brand ambassador or whatever, and somebody that literally is just searching for views, like you got to know the difference. Like I said, that stuff with GoPro is kind of um, very dangerous. Not kind of, it is very dangerous, I think. Because to say, like, and to know, again, if it's a sponsored video and it's paid for something, but you still aren't allowed to give your opinion on something, I feel like it's pretty, that's a, that's a very dangerous clause to accept in a contract. Uh, and I'll leave it at that. Um, so be weary of that. And I hope that doesn't continue to spread in the camera space. So let's get on this ZV-E1. I said, I've owned it for three months. The only camera that I own literally sold everything else. FYI, people may be saying, well, what about the ZV-10? I don't own the ZV-10. It's a rental. And so this is just a long-term rental because I wanted to see when the Z, not the ZV, <laughs> the camera models always throw me off sometimes. When the A7C was soon to be announced right after the ZV-E1, when the Mark II was, I'm like, okay, I don't know if I want to get another ZV-E1 
or do I want to get the A7C Mark II? I thought I would be getting another uh, ZVE-1 for sure, but I'm like, if the A7C Mark II is good in the way that I think, like it would match up better specs or whatever, or comparable, comparable specs, which is not a bad camera by, by any means. I'm just like, let me wait and see. So I didn't want to keep any of my older cameras because again, the value continues to drop where I'd rather just do a long-term rental, get the use case that I need out of it. If I want to buy it, I can, but it's like, I don't think I will. I'm just going to get what I know I would need long-term, but that's that. So my only camera has been the ZV-E1. Like I said, paid for with my money, owned by me, not sent to me by anybody and not making videos for clout in the sense of just to get some views real quick because I have no intent of returning the camera. And this is that where we run into the, is the overheating a big of a deal as a lot of people perceive it to be? And the answer is both a yes and a no. Is it as big of a deal as a lot of people sensationalized it when it first came out? No. I, uh, from going through the menu systems and a camera turn shut, shuts off, false. Camera running for five minutes and then it overheats and turns, turns off, false. Is the overheating an issue though on the camera? Yes. Is this something that the average content creator might run into? Potentially, yes. Is this something that I would probably run into? Asterisk, potentially, yes. Because, and I say asterisk next to it, for me personally, because it's like I did so many tests and like every single week I've been doing variations of different overheating tests, different scenarios, different um, settings, just to see where is the cutoff point for this camera? Where is the cutoff point for the overheating? Where is the, the point to where it has such a problem to where it cannot function? And so the most uncomfortable situation I was in was when I recently did an interview that runs anywhere from about 30 to 35 minutes and I did this in H.265, um, which is the 4K HS. And I think it was 422 10-bit and the 2160p out. And this is via a normal streaming setup where I was um, using a dummy battery, uh, clean HDMI out of the camera. That's a normal basic setup, not the USB streaming. It's not that you can't do USB streaming, but a person that streams regularly and always, like that's a regular part of their content, they're not doing this via USB. If you're mobile, traveling on the go, spot calls, spot client calls, you might do USB stuff like that because it's convenient, but a regular streamer is not doing that because it's not uh, efficient per se. So that was the most uncomfortable situation I've been in and the camera overheated. The other one was doing those settings uh, with proxies, proxy recordings running. And then at that point was for sure an overheating issue. And it didn't matter if you're starting from cold, if you was running the camera already, it didn't matter what those uh, scenarios were. And so I found out what the good settings were and the ideal settings for if you wanted to do those higher quality streams or, or what have you, because you have to think about this from a logical business standpoint. A $2,200 camera is an investment. I don't know how many people would buy this camera for fun, and it's only for fun and that's it. But there's definitely those out there and it would spend more on cameras like that for fun. And that's cool. But most of the people that would spend that much money on a camera, it's not for fun. It's an investment. And so for this camera to yield an investment, if you're buying something with these capable specs and be like, oh, nobody does that, it kind of becomes 
in my opinion, silly to a point for people to say nobody does it in 4K, nobody does it at these specs. You have to think about this. When we're doing interviews, and I'm saying this as a content creating entrepreneur, when we're doing interviews, we're doing client calls, we're meeting with brands, this is a representation of your brand. This is a representation of what's like, imagine showing up, like when I do these one-on-one -on -one coaching calls, these 30 or 60 minute uh, coaching calls, or I'm working with somebody and we're doing like nine sessions of one hour things. When you first meet somebody, you still have first impressions online, even with brands. And so they say, like, Hey, you want to hop on a quick call, whatever. And so you're dialoguing back and forth with a brand or a potential partnership or whatever. And they were like, number one comment I always get, man, your camera looks good, man. That setup looks awesome or whatever. Not that that's going to be the deal breaker or whatever, but it's still a first impression. Why not put your best foot forward? I grew up where my parents would say you dress for success. And so this is me dressing for success. And this is also me documenting my experience. Sometimes I record internally at the same time of streaming or like, you now we don't have to do that anymore because we have like softwares like Ecamm where you can record our stuff and stream at the same time. Um, even StreamYard now you can, uh, has recording features and stuff like that. And so any of this stuff, you can get your, your feedback, but it's like, get the cleanest footage directly from the camera. And then the second best is Ecamm. Like right now I'm doing this in Ecamm. You can't tell that it's a streaming setup because it doesn't look choppy and jittery like one. This is the value to me. And so getting this kind of a quality on any kind of call when I'm representing my brand virtually, I think it's super important. So the overheating is a big concern because if it can't do this, tough cookies, you out of luck. And so like I said, the most uncomfortable scenario was when I did it for the 30 minutes or whatever, and it was shutting off or I was testing and I'm like, dang, or we had like the, uh, I call it the heat stroke week where it was insane amount of heat. Like I've never really experienced in a long time. Oh, and it just was hella hot. It didn't matter what we had the air conditioner on. It just was super duper hot. And so the camera was overheating left and right with me trying different settings. I'm like, enough. I put the ZV-10 up. <laughs> I'm like, I just put the ZV-10 up because I'm like, enough with, you know, because I'm like, it's it's not possible at certain settings in certain environments. And I think that's absolutely absurd at the price point because if the ZV-E10, the $700 sister of this camera can do its best specs in the camera in 4K and you can run that camera all day, I believe the same should be true for the ZV-E1. And to a point it is because like I said, I did the test and by the time this podcast posts, that video probably should already be out. But what was funny is I did this podcast episode already and because I was rearranging my desk some just to be more efficient, unplugged my Rodecaster and I'm, even though I was monitoring the audio and I'm hearing myself and I knew the audio, I'm like, good, crispy, all of this. I had it muted in Ecamm and furthermore, it wasn't even plugged in to my computer. So yeah, so that was an hour. And so now we're at 19 minutes on the raw recording of this right now. So it's an hour, 20 minutes, the camera been going. Plus I did some Instagram stories talking about that uh, a couple seconds ago. And so here we are, but it's no overheating, but it's not just from the settings change, but the Ulanzi fan is coming. So I'm like, let's see if I can put them back at that higher settings where I had issues at where it's the 4k HS 422 10-bit and 24p and 2160p output and I put the Ulanzi fan on there and not even an overheating symbol has popped up right now not once and sometimes it'll come on and off and flicker and then it'll come on and then sometimes it'll go off 
like I've tested this camera just I'm beside myself in tests. Like, I don't know how Gerald Undone does it, <laughs> you know, but I wanted to have that real life perspective. Like, what is it really like? Where's the cutoff points? Where are you going to run into issues? So I could speak from experience in real life scenarios and use cases. And most people would say, when would you ever need to do two, three hours of nonstop? I'm not recording internally. Essentially, the camera is outputting a signal for extended period of times. I feel like it should be able to do that in 4K, whether I want to do that in 4K uh, HS or 4K S. SI uh, is the only thing I haven't touched again because it's just like past the point. It's like I'm I'm hold off <laughs> on until I need those and then I'll use them because I have and it's just like it's a lot of data. It's a lot of data. <laughs> and so the overheating is an issue, but for the average creator, you're going to shoot everything in 4K 24, 4K 30, if you need the, if you not even need, if you want the higher specs, because you have other reasons for why you want your stuff to look good and, and not even if nothing else, you just want it to look good. That's fine too. I don't care if nobody was doing their stuff in 4k 60 SI, but you want your stuff like it's possible and the camera should be able to do it. So the unfortunate thing is that it did not come with the same kind of um, heat management and dissipation as some of the higher end models at the price point is not what warrants the value which the other thing that turns people off is like the price is too high especially for it to be running into these kind of problems and for a lot of people i, I agree i agree with that twenty two hundred dollars is a big investment it's a huge investment because you haven't even added in lenses you haven't even added, added in accessories whether it's your first camera or it's your fifth camera like you haven't added in that conversion uh, rate of expenses that you would need for this kind of investment. And so I agree, you should have, it should be cheaper, you know, a little bit cheaper, but I don't think necessarily it should be cheaper per se. I think cheaper would make it more palatable to people, but I think 18 to $1,900 retail. And if Sony had, like I would have loved to have seen if they had released this camera with the fan that Ulanzi came out with to say, Hey, here's this, if you need it, or just partner with Ulanzi or one of these other companies. But I think they kind of felt like somebody, they knew somebody would do it or you could use the tilt to fan thing. And they would just like, eh, but the price being a factor of value, everybody values something differently. And the price does not make sense for this camera. If, you're coming from sometimes a five, six, seven hundred dollar camera. And number one, you got to think about lens and accessories and all the other stuff that's more expensive. And you look at some of the features and you say, well, how often would I use some of those things? In my experience of you, I've used nearly everything but the cinematic vlog mode. I think I would probably use that more if it didn't have the black bars. Not even I probably, I probably, yeah, I probably would. I kind of have a look now that we like in the brand and I just like the way that I personally like the way that looks. It's not trying to be like super cinematic. It's just like, it's, it's an aesthetic that I enjoy. And so having a built-in lights, we use those or like, um, I was playing with the false color LUT and learning more about that. Cause I can have that in the camera and I was experimenting and playing with different uh, S-Log3 LUTs because we can have those in the cameras and just to kind of see which one would look better in certain scenarios. You don't have to bake it in, but you can. 
the touch screen and and the ability to quickly much more quickly to get through the menu yes we're used to the buttons but we have that and then you have the new menu and there's always a reason or a way that you can always justify something cheaper or being better because it is cheaper for your use case and i get that uh, and there's a space for that but that's why i always suggest to not only choose your camera based on the price point alone because that's a way that you'll miss the mark in the things that would be helpful to you and so the only thing like i said that i'm not using is the cinematic vlog mode and that framing i think it's i think i always get the names kind of mixed up but i think it's the framing stabilizer to just where it keeps you centered no matter how somebody walks or moves it keeps that person centered that's the only thing i don't use those couple things everything else putting it to work <laughs> in just little ways because as a solo content creating entrepreneur you have to think more outside the box and it becomes sometimes a bit more difficult when you have to think of how you will approach uh, certain situations creatively to get it done and to do it by yourself or what the expense will look like to bring on somebody else. I'd love to have a videographer um, in the near future, but it's like on those times where it's just like I need to set this camera up and I need it to follow me or it'd be great if I could just go from here to here or you're teaching something, you're doing a live class and you wanna switch from this kind of scenario to maybe a second camera that's at a whiteboard and just have it follow you without maybe having to invest in it, some type of PTZ camera to some extent or, or what have you. And so it's always those kind of scenarios that come up. And so the price value, you know, and price per feature value that you would expect, like I said, the build quality, the overheating are two things that make that price less attractive to a lot of people and I get that. But in real life use, it was light enough for me to like travel with it. I travel with this camera and the 20 millimeter F 2.8 lens, such a joy, no arm fatigue, which with the a seven C Mark one arm fatigue, Sony a seven four arm fatigue. I literally have never had where my wrist feels weak. And again, it's just for me, I'm not used to carrying heavier setups and stuff because I'm not into photography, videography. I was filming my nephew's um, graduation with it, trying to camera and stuff that Lin, uh, Sony sent out for me. And so oh, 7200 Mark II GMAT chef's kiss F 2.8. Oh, magic, magic. A7 IV combination, magic scenario, but heavy as hell. I was literally just poor wrists, just shaking for days because I'm like, God, Lee, this is heavy. A7C, a little less, but it still felt heavy traveling with it. And I traveled with it in the 10 to 18. And I usually try to do one camera, one lens when I'm traveling, but I'm like, I, I put the A7C down past the point. Cause I'm like, this is, I'm tired of carrying this. I'd rather just go back to my ZV-10 and do what we need to do in Catalyst Browse for anything that is too shaky. And that's what I did for uh, a trip when I went to uh, California. And so with the ZV-E10, not ZV-E10, with the ZV-E1 though, super enjoyable. Um, there's an experience where I was traveling with the ZV-E10 and the 10 to 18, and I was on the plane and just fell asleep with the camera in my hand. Then there was uh, this recent trip where I traveled with the ZV-E1 and the Tamron 20 millimeter F2.8 lens in the hand and I fell asleep with the net because it felt the same. There was no arm fatigue, there was no exhaustion, and I could just walk around all day from me traveling from home into my destination and then traveling some there without being a problem or carrying it in a bag or going to lunch and not thinking like, oh, what do I do with this big old setup or what do I do with whatever, just super easy. The mics, internal mics, having that 
and not having to, to pop on my, uh, shotgun microphone on top of the camera. Cause there's sometimes where I just want to pull the camera out, get a couple segments, but I don't want to have to rig up the mic just because it makes it bigger and I got to screw it in. And it seemed like these microseconds don't matter, but just knowing that I can forward face it, forward face the mic, pop on the wind furry and just go about my business and the audio is going to be good. Stabilization is going to be dope. Even though like walking with your hand, you do all kinds of stuff when you're on the go, you're trying to get someplace. All of that was an enjoyable, super enjoyable experience. Like there's other points of complaints that people have about it. Like I said, it's somebody that owns it. I use this camera as my go-to camera. I don't have an FX3 or FX30 or an A7 four or a seven S Mark three or an a one or something sitting off to the side. And this is just a B or C camera. This is the only camera. This is the a camera. This is the main camera because if I'm not doing videography and cinematography work and all this stuff, and even as a video educator, I need two cameras, sometimes three, but most of the time is to document and talk with a camera and then to have the other camera visible and to share areas about it and stuff like that. And three cameras, when I need to be on screen, I'm talking about the thing and maybe I have an overhead camera that's filming that uh, perspective. So stuff like that. And so when I'm thinking about what do I need or what do I want, there's things about this camera, like the on-screen touch options and just the ability to touch everything on the screen, navigate everything screen-wise, convenient not having to pop the door open to change the battery door or change the battery out because the battery door and the SD card door is different. Convenient. Like I said, all the stuff that people say online and it's hard to make the difference of what seems quote unquote gimmicky, which is a word that's been thrown around with this camera a lot. What seems gimmicky online versus in the intended audience use case scenario is actually super helpful. Framing stabilizer, was helpful when I'm walking and I wanted to just hold the camera up and I needed to watch where I was going because I was in unfamiliar territory and I was filming Ray uh, Edwards. He was walking and he was just touring a, a new office space. Just need to capture him. That's it. <laughs> you know, document the experience and it could keep him centered. The stable dynamic active stabilization did a fantastic job. It looked like we were floating and I wasn't like gimbal, you know, ninja walking or none of that stuff. Like walk, I wouldn't any of that just trying to, trying to document. And so it made it an easier and more enjoyable experience. And even he was curious, like, because he's all into cameras and tech and stuff. And so I showed him, he was like, he's like, I know you said don't buy that camera yet. Cause I'm like, let me, I'm like, wait, let me test it. Let me see how it really is before you just jump on like a bandwagon where I'm like, and it may not be worth it or it may not be right. And he was like, I don't care what you say. He's like, I'm seeing what this camera is doing. He's like, I, in real life, he's like, I want that camera. <laughs> and so uh, a lot of people say it's for vloggers or the, the marketing and they try to position like why I can't do something or why it's not creating something. It's like, because it's for vloggers. So was it said also of the A6400 in the marketing. And I don't care what the marketing says. It's like, who is it really for based on what's in it and how that particular set of features would be used everything in this screams content creator, even better content creating entrepreneurs, because we're creating by ourselves. We're trying to do all these different dynamic shots. We have different creative ideas, or you may hand this camera off to somebody in your family or on your team that isn't um, real specific about stuff. And you can say, just make sure 
I'm in frame. Or if you see the framing, I can dynamic tracking, whatever it's called, that tracks you around. Uh, the the digital cameraman. It's like if you see it gets to the frame and it can't move, just slightly move over. Those micro instructions, like to somebody, for example, a, ch a church or a ministry or a nonprofit trying to create content. I talk to a lot of nonprofits and churches and pastors that are trying to do this content creation thing. And they like, my people don't know video. Nobody else is interested in tech or they're afraid of tech and blah, blah, blah. And so you run into these challenges and it's like, well, this camera would be helpful. Maybe it's not what you use for streaming sermons and stuff or, or whatever the case is, but it'd be pretty gosh darn good for using it by yourself. And so the marketing aspect of this camera and then what it really is good at, like, don't get caught and lost in the sauce on <laughs> uh, some of this stuff. And it's like the market of it being for content creators is accurate. But I think to say like for the overheating, it's like nobody's going to do 4K60 for an hour. Nobody's going to do. You don't know. You never know. And there are people that do want to do 4K60 in 10-bit for a long time because they don't know. Maybe they are into beach volleyball or or tennis or something and they're recording their match and they put it on a monopod or a tripod on the court and they're filming themselves and they get brand deals and sponsorships or they're a swimmer or whatever and they never know what parts it makes sense to slow down or to make part of a reel or whatever but they need this to go like not only have the creator features that are not in other cameras um, like this one is but some of them are most of them are getting there but they need this to work for them because they never know. That may be a piece that, which a lot of, I think, uh, content creators don't pay attention to. Brands will ask to license your footage if it's good enough or they want to use it in the ad and in which you can sell them a license to your content. So if it's in 4K60, 4K60, 10-bit uh, footage, and it's in a log space, color space, they can use that footage because they can adapt it to whatever they want or for their marketing needs or whatever. And sometimes they just want what you've already created and they want access to that license. It's a very interesting world as a content creator. And so to say like nobody does it in this or you don't need your podcast in this higher framework, why not let it fly? <laughs> why not let it fly? If it's possible and if it's capable, let's do it. Because you never know what that footage might be. It could be a year, two years later, and some brand sees it, that footage, and they like, can we license that? Can we get that from you? Can we use that for X, Y, and Z? Yeah, I can sell you a license for uh, what do you do? One year license. What do you, you know, what do you, what do we need this for? Or you know, like, what are you selling the rights for? That stuff happens more often than you think. No matter how big your channel is, it don't matter. It just needs to fit that parameter. Or people sell their footage, or it gets used in an ad for a brand and stuff. And so my, like I said, my experience is these last three months of on this camera has been fantastic. I think I said this in the beginning, I'm using the Ulanzi fan on this one, this particular series of recording and stuff because number one to test it, but I'm having an excellent experience where it solves a lot of the pain points for a lot of people. But at the same time, I wish that it wasn't necessary, but 19 bucks uh, which is what I spent for it, getting the pre-order version. I think it may be like 40. I know the tilted one goes up to like 50 bucks for uh, the, the camera fans or whatever. Ulanzi is cheaper. And I don't know the difference between the two specs, specs, feature to feature. But the Ulanzi one, like I said, I can speak from experience in using it. It's great. Uh, and it is working. 
it is working. I've been doing this one now, raw recording 36 minutes. And uh, before that, the hour flub up that did not <laughs> fly at all. Uh, not even an overheating symbol at the higher specs that by the camera alone would otherwise overheat it. And so, like I said, it's a concern, but now there's a workaround for that. I hate having to have workarounds. I wish things natively would just be, but we don't live in a perfect world where things are the way we would want to all the time. But I think somewhere down the line or around the corner would be this camera, these specs, similar body design with the flip out screen, Z battery, maybe for those that uh, need it, want it, uh, micro HDMI or not micro HDMI, but a mini HDMI or full size HDMI that care uh, or stuff like that, a better screen. I don't care about the EVF or whatever, so I can't get on that back man wagon. But only thing I would say is better screen, better screen, heat corrected. You know, obviously there's little software things that I would love to see in the Mark II, but from somebody that really uses this camera, it's my only camera that I own on purpose. I love this camera. It's my favorite camera. And not only that, from the photos to the videos to the shorts, it's been amazing. It's been amazing and it's been fun. And I think that's the value that can't be quantified in videos per se or in price and all of that stuff. And so on the front end, like I said, for a lot of people, and I was looking at that price to myself, like $2,200. It's like, and I was willing to spend it. I was willing to spend it. But like I said, it wind up being fortune <laughs> and favor that it wind up being that I found this camera uh, at the same place MBB had it. And so I was like, let me get that one. And we took the white chocolate edition, the storm white chocolate edition of the ZVE one. But I love this camera. It's been a lot of fun. If you guys have questions about that, feel free to leave those down in the comments down below. But um, that's where I'm gonna wrap up this one. I just, I just wanted to share my experience, open up the door to conversation around some of these challenges and concerns that people have had. And you had to be, like I said, it goes back to ethics. It goes back to ethics. You gotta be careful of the one and done people. It's like, here's why I returned it. Here's why this and that. It's like no different with the iPhone that just came out and people are gonna buy it so they can make a couple videos when they tried it it sucks it's the same as the whatever no different than the gopro 12 people buy it they try it they say it sucks and they're all within that 30-day window nobody's gonna be buying it using it for five six months and then like you know what i returned it number one it don't take that long to see if you like or dislike something but number two just for the just for the clicks just for the attention and just to like with the hope that those videos lead to something else which they almost never do <laughs> it never gets past those few videos. You know what I'm saying? Like, so like I said, you had to be careful about what you watch and who you're watching. Uh, when you do watch uh, stuff on, on tech and stuff, is this just a legit a review? Cause those have value. People's opinion have value and their use case and their opinions are, are valuable. But at the same time, it's like, be careful about making buying decisions from people who actually truly didn't buy it and have owned it and they're using it regularly, like regularly. They're not stuck on silly stuff. <laughs> like, you know, it'd be different if I own a Sony A1 or A7S Mark III. And then I'm like, yeah, I got the ZV-1, I pay for it. But it gets 10, 20 minutes of use, maybe 30 minutes of use per week. No, this camera puts in work every day. And so if anything, like I said, I would recommend to deal with the one 
major issue on this camera being the overheating. Is it over exaggerated? Yes. But is it an issue that you might run into? Yes. And for those scenarios, I would recommend using the fan in those scenarios. Every other scenario, you'll be fine. But um, if you guys have questions about the camera, let me know. But I wanted to just dive into a nerdy tech episode. I was about to say dirty. <laughs> it's not turd. Do a nerdy tech episode uh, on this camera. Uh, but as I love to end all of our episodes, the winds of life blows on us all. But it is how you set your sails. With that, guys, love and passion. I'll see you on the next episode of the Video Simplified Podcast. Take care. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode, but the value doesn't stop there. For more in-depth trainings, courses, and growing your brand using video, join the Video Simplified community at videosimplified.live.